Dear listener, we have arrived at Article 8 of the Apostles' Creed. The Christian confesses in Article 80 of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost. When the Christian confesses this, in whom and what does he believe? He thereby professes to believe in the divine person who is called the Holy Ghost. The name Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is not only characteristic of the third person of the Trinity, but also explains his nature. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as God. When Ananias lied about the price he received for his field, Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie the Holy Ghost? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. Acts 5, verse 3. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. He made it appear as if the Holy Spirit had moved his heart to do what Barnabas had done. Barnabas had sold his field to support the poor brothers and sisters in the faith. Ananias wanted to imitate this act and, like Barnabas, acquired the reputation of being an exemplary Christian. However, he didn't have the heart of Barnabas. He was duplicitous regarding the proceeds from the sale of his field, and thus he kept most of it for himself. But he told the Apostle Peter that what he gave him was the full price of his field. Peter then said that by committing this sin, Ananias had lied against the Holy Ghost. He and his wife dropped dead before the feet of Peter. This dramatic event clearly shows that the Holy Spirit is neither the power of God nor a divine agent, but rather he is God himself. The scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as a person. Qualities are attributed to him that can only be descriptive of a person. He knows our deepest needs and desires. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 27, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as having a will, but all these works that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. He is described as a person of love. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Romans 15, verse 30. All this cannot be said of an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is revealed to us in the Bible as a person who sees, hears, speaks, testifies, glorifies, guides, convinces, comforts, seals, assures, reveals, and so much more. In short, Scripture attributes qualities to the Holy Spirit that are only applicable to a person. The Holy Spirit was actively engaged in creation and the orderly arrangement of the world. 
In Genesis 1, verse 2, we read, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit made the chaos to a splendid world. He, with the Father and the Son, is the creator of heaven and earth. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The Holy Spirit is here called the spirit of the breath of God's mouth. We read of Jesus when he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, that he breathed upon them so that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. John 20, verse 22. Based on this testimony, the early church confessed regarding the Holy Spirit in the Creed of Nicaea in 325 after Christ, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son by a continuous divine procession, setting forth the unique manner of subsistence of the Holy Spirit. This subsistence is beyond our understanding. The Bible primarily intends to communicate to us that the subsistence of the Holy Spirit is always integrally related to the Father and the Son. That is what Scripture has revealed to us regarding the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the other comforter. The word comforter, in Greek parakletos, means a person who defends the oppressed. Thus we can think of either a helper or an attorney. The Holy Spirit engages himself on behalf of oppressed and tried believers when their sins and shortcomings, the law of God, their own conscience, death and grave, and especially the devil, distress them. He then comforts them with Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sins and the conqueror of the devil, death and hell. The Holy Spirit brings comfort down to the sinner who grieves for sin. He shows the penitent the Father's boundless love and the merits of the Son. He kindles hope and faith in Christ. He shows that there is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. He heals the wounds and sores of sin with the balm of Jesus' wounds. He tells the backslider that he is welcome to return to his God and Father. He strengthens the afflicted with the faithfulness of God. He comforts the heavy heart with the promises of God. He makes us feel the power of the promise within. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overthrow you. Isaiah 43, verse 2. He wipes away the mourner's tears and he fills the heart 
with heavenly joy. What a blessed comforter is the Holy Spirit. Thus God's children have an advocate who intercedes for them in heaven, namely Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. 1 John 2 verse 1 and 2. And they have an advocate residing in their hearts, namely the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit another comforter, that is, someone other than himself. The word other, he does not mean someone entirely different from Jesus himself. It means the exact, exact opposite. Jesus is saying, though he is different, yet he is of the same sort as I am. Jesus is referring to a person who can act on his behalf and who can replace him. All that Jesus has thus far been for his disciples, their master, comforter, teacher, Lord, God and Savior, the Holy Spirit will be to them both now and in the future. The Holy Spirit can take Jesus' place and be the other comforter because he is most intimately associated with Jesus and his work as Savior. The Bible shows us continuously the close relation between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. We read in Luke 1 verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit at the commencement of his public ministry. Luke 3 verse 21 and 22 says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Luke 4 verse 1 and 2 says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. During Jesus' entire earthly public ministry, the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. The Holy Spirit enabled him to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in the synagogue of Capernaum that in him the prophecy regarding the Messiah was fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to heal the sick and cast out devils. Jesus said to the Pharisees, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Matthew 12, verse 28. Jesus offered himself by the Holy Spirit 
to God as a sacrifice for sin. Hebrew 9 verse 14 speaks of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Jesus was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8 verse 11 it is written, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. All that Jesus spoke and did, he spoke and did by the power of the Holy Spirit. From his birth to the end of his life on earth, the Holy Spirit was upon him and with him. All this shows the intimate relationship between Jesus' work of redemption and the Holy Spirit. However, especially after Jesus had left the earth and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is intimately associated with Jesus and his redemptive work. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about his return to his Father, they were sad. Jesus comforted them with the message, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John 14, verse 16. Jesus would leave them, and he would no longer be physically present with them. However, he would not leave them comfortless, for another comforter would come, a person who would always abide with them and even dwell with them. Jesus promised he abides with you and will be in you. John 14 verse 17. Jesus would remain with them through the Comforter. The Holy Spirit would take his place as an other Comforter. Since, however, the Holy Spirit and Christ are one, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers would in fact be the indwelling of Christ himself in their hearts. Death, that is why Jesus could promise, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John 14 verse 18. He would come to live within them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the great mystery of Christianity, of which we read in Colossians 1 verse 27 which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul could therefore say, Christ lives in me, Galatians 2 verse 20. Jesus' nearness through the Holy Spirit is even superior to his bodily presence. Jesus by the Holy Spirit, living in the Christian, is even a more intimate bond than his physical presence. The Holy Spirit is none other than Christ within us. He resides in the heart of the believer. What a glorious guest is the Holy Spirit. He makes Christ present in the heart. The work of the Holy Spirit is far more comprehensive than we can briefly discuss here. Let us mention his most important works. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Holy Scriptures. The Apostle writes, 
all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that is, it is breathed by the Holy Spirit. Though the writers of the Bible are fallible people, whatever they have written has been written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 reads, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the author of all the spiritual gifts that believers possess. Of all the different spiritual graces that were present in the church at Corinth, the Apostle says, and all these works at one and the selfsame Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. The Holy Spirit seals to believers' heart that he or she is a genuine Christian indeed. In Ephesians 1 verse 13 says the Apostle, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers is the proof that they belong to Jesus. He unites them with Jesus. The Holy Spirit witnesses with their spirit that they are the children of God. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He grants them the confidence to approach God as their loving Father. He leads believers, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8 verse 14. He is the pledge of our eternal inheritance, which is the earnest of our inheritance, Ephesians 1 verse 14. His indwelling is the guarantee of their blessed bodily resurrection. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus dwell in you, he that has raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. Romans 8 verse 11. The Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of all true believers. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. The Holy Spirit is God within us. What a glorious guest! What a wonder that the Holy Spirit will recite in such sinful hearts as our hearts are. Above all, however, the Holy Spirit is the person who will see to it that Christ's redemptive work bears fruit. He brings the work of Jesus to full fruition and gathers to him a congregation, chosen to eternal life of all generations, tongues and nations. The Holy Scriptures focus preeminently on making sinners the partakers of the salvation Christ has merited. 
It is the most important aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has finished his redemptive work and thereby has merited rich spiritual and eternal blessings for his church. However, how do we become partakers of these blessings? The scriptural answer is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit unites the sinner with Christ and thereby makes him a partaker of all Christ's benefits. Jesus spoke to his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit and told them what his ministry would be. He said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. John 16, the verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, he shall glorify me. These were sum up the core aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not set himself in the place of Christ. He seeks not his own glory. This is evident sign of a false spirit, whatever it pretends to be. Of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he shall not speak of himself. He shall magnify and glorify Christ in the hearts of sinners in order that they shall know what a blessed Savior and Redeemer Jesus is. Jesus also taught how the Holy Spirit would accomplish this task. He said, For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus speaks about receiving of mine, that is, all that belongs to Jesus and does everything Jesus has merited. The Holy Spirit will all this apply to the believers. He reveals to the souls of sinners the good things of the covenant of grace, which the Father has provided and the Son purchased. He shows to us mercy, grace, forgiveness, righteousness, acceptation with God, and he let us know that Jesus has procured all these blessings for us. He makes this not only known, but he grants us faith to embrace all this and make it our own. And so it will be fulfilled what Paul writes. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. Jesus identifies this as the great work of the Holy Spirit. He will make us the beneficiaries of Christ and all that pertains to him. To this end, the Holy Spirit will unite us by faith to Christ and everything that pertains to Jesus will thus become our portion. The blessings of Christ can thus not be divorced from Christ himself and they are therefore not obtainable apart from our union with Christ. It is in and with Christ that the benefits of Christ 
are bestowed upon us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ believers are partakers of all these mercies. Just as all our misery proceeds from our union with Adam, likewise all our salvation proceeds from our union with Christ. The great theologian of the Reformation, John Calvin, said the following about this task of the Holy Spirit. And then we must first and foremost consider that all that Christ has suffered and accomplished for the salvation of the human race is, is, of, is of no benefit and no importance to us as long as he remains external to us and we are separated from him. Thus, to make us partakers of what he has received from the Father, he must become ours and dwell within us. The Holy Spirit's primary objective is to glorify Christ. His will is that the glory, the virtues, the excellence, the grace, the love, the atonement, as well as the victory of Christ over the devil, death and hell and the grave, be proclaimed in the world. He wants Jesus' glory to be known among the nations. He will see to it that Christ is preached in the world. However, that is not all. He will also see to it that sinners will believe in Christ. The Apostle exclaims in amazement and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. Jesus will be believed in the fallen world. The Holy Spirit will begin his work with the spiritual resurrection or regeneration of the sinner. The Bible declares every man on earth to be spiritually dead. The Apostle says of the believers in Ephesus that they were once dead, and you has he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1. To the Christians at Colossae, he writes, And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him. Colossians 2 verse 13. Fallen man is flesh, that is depraved, and thus incapable of doing any good, and prone to all evil and thus unable and unwilling to believe in Jesus for salvation. The Apostle writes, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8 verse 8 Man must be raised from this spiritual death, that is, from this inability and unwillingness to serve God and believe in Christ and be made willing and capable to close with Christ for salvation. The Bible calls this the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. Jesus told Nicodemus that without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, a sinner can neither understand nor delight in the things of the kingdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Every true Christian was once dead in trespasses and sins. Love of God and sorrow for sin were unknown. There was no need for Jesus the Savior and no desire to live according to God's commandments. Every Christian has the backstory of being a stranger to God and his heart. It was the Holy Spirit who turned their hearts away from love of sin and world. To every genuine Christian, these words are therefore applicable. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. The Holy Spirit works in sinners a true faith that unites us to Christ. He brings the sinner and the Savior to each other. He makes the sinner see his need for Jesus. He makes Jesus necessary and precious to us. To achieve this, he will do what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. John 16, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes in us, he will do a great work. He will make men to whom he comes know what sin is. We so easily say, I am a sinner, but we do not know what sin is. David knew and felt what sin is. He confessed against thee, the only have I sinned, and then this evil in thy sight. Sin is transgression of God's holy law. Sin is committed against a holy and righteous God who will not let go sin unpunished. When this becomes real for us, we will pray with David, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, Psalm 51. In conversion, the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to our lost state and to the sins we have committed against God. He will work a heartfelt sorrow for sin in our hearts and a hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of Christ. He will make us conscious of being in danger of losing our soul and perishing forever. He will show us the dreadful reality of God's holy wrath towards sin. He will tell and show us the truth about ourselves. The Holy Spirit will shine with his light into our hearts and uncover to us the depravity of our hearts. He will strip us of all hope of self-deliverance 
and he will make us agree with the prophet. But we are but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Isaiah 64, verse 6. However, his objective in bringing down all that is exalted in us is to glorify Christ within us. The Holy Spirit has one only goal, namely to glorify Christ. He will make Jesus necessary and precious to the heart. He will through the gospel reveal to the heart of the contrite sinner, the Savior who came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. He shows us ourselves in our sins and corruptions in order to show us Jesus, the Savior, in his dying love. For where sin is not seen, Jesus is not sought. He will shed light upon Jesus' person, excellence, fullness, suitability, and ability to reconcile us with God. He will speak to us of the power of Jesus' blood to cleanse us from all sins, as well of his satisfaction of God's justice to deliver us from the just wrath of God. He will shed light upon Jesus and will set him before us as a willing, full and complete Savior. He will cause our contrite heart to consider the invitations that came forth from Jesus' mouth, assuring us that he who comes to him will in no wise be cast out. John 6, 6 verse 37. He comforts the heavy heart with the message, the Master has come and he calls for you. He will kindle a true faith in our hearts to embrace Jesus the Savior and to make him our righteousness before God. The Holy Spirit ties the blessed knot between Jesus and a sinner. He causes Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. How indispensable is the saving work of the Holy Spirit personally and experientially. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. He will not cause light to fall upon himself, but rather upon Jesus. He will focus all attention upon Jesus. Think of a beautiful painting that is being illuminated by a lamp. No one will look at the light of that illuminates the painting. All eyes will be on the painting itself. Such is the nature of the blessed work of the Holy Spirit. He will cause all attention to be focused on Christ. In so doing, he will make Christ exceedingly precious to our hearts and make us partakers of Christ and all his benefits. He will teach us to say, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 verse 14. The Holy Spirit will remain with the church on earth. Jesus promised 
And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John 14, verse 16. The church will never be without the Holy Spirit. That is the glory of the Christian church. And it is the guarantee of her continued existence. The Holy Spirit is to the church as a whole and to each believer individually as the cloudy and fiery pillar of which we read in Exodus 13 verse 22. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Despite all their murmurings and all their unfaithfulnesses, the cloudy and fiery pillar remained with the people of Israel until they come in, came into Canaan. God will bring each of his children to the heavenly Canaan. He will finish what he has begun. He has promised, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Joshua 1 verse 5. The Christian wholeheartedly confesses, I believe in the Holy Ghost.